you know, when people ask you, hey, how are you? You know, I nod and say, getting there. So that is a way of, of us just checking in where we are. Getting there. We never feel like we've gotten there. We're always getting there. I'm Rebecca O'Brien, and you're entering a world gone good season four. Well, hello, my name is Steve, and this is the place where we shine the light and or find the light in and into the darkness to prove there's still good out there and lots of it. Welcome to World Gone Good. And someone set off the confetti cannons filled with peanut butter cups because we are already into season four. How's that even possible? I don't know. It's a new math these kids are doing today. Screw you, kid. I can write in cursive and you can't. If you've missed any of our previous good times, and there's been lots of them, run on over to worldgonegoodpodcast.com. That's the place where all the good lives for free and does not pay rent. I'm like a slumlord for good. Worldgonegoodpodcast.com has links to all our pre... Damn, it's Peter Brady. World Gone Good Podcast has links to all our previous shows, plus some other fun stuff you should definitely check out. One more time for the kids in the back, worldgonegoodpodcast.com. Today we are talking one of my favorite things, storytelling, specifically through the world of theater. They say to write what you know. I did this with my very first play, Mother's Day, all the way back in 1993. I wrote what I knew at 23 years old, which, if I'm being honest, wasn't that much. And the critics who reviewed it, they were honest too, and they let me know very clearly, in no uncertain terms, that I didn't know that much. Look, it may not have been the most evolved perspective being shared But you know what? I put myself out there. And that alone is something. That is absolutely terrifying and equally thrilling, but it's something. My friend and theater mate Rebecca O'Brien knows more than a little something about being brave, taking chances, and telling her story. It's a story about her battle with cancer, but here's the thing. It's not about her. It's about all the people around her. I'm screwing this up already. I'm going to let her explain. And as she does, hopefully inspire all of you. This is Rebecca, and this is her oh-so-good journey. Rebecca O'Brien is here today. I don't even know where to start, so I'm going to start here. The most important place to start, how is Stella? (laughs) My little Stella, my seven and a half. You know what? She may be three quarters pounds at this point. She has been eating a little bit extra. Somehow the heat comforts her. She is under the table in front of the couch in one of her four beds in the apartment. She's surviving the summer and now the fall. She's surviving the summer and now the fall for sure. She's looking forward to the fall. You have 
had such a journey, but let's actually, we already started where we we're going to start. Let's start in the second place. Where did you and I, do you remember first meeting you and I? I'm trying to think of, I know where we met and how, like we're in the same theater company, but do you remember us meeting like a first time? I think I did lights for one of your shows. Oh, for fuck's sake, really? Yeah, I do. What show was it? it had the word Steve in it. <laughs> All about Steve? Yeah. Holy shit. I can't believe. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? That's amazing. Did I pay you? Oh, I don't know. I It was either lights or sound. I was in the booth. Oh, that's amazing. And I've seen you so many times in so many one-act things over the years. When did you first land in L.A.? Where did you come from, and when did you land in L.A.? Well, I'm from Tennessee, but I getting to L.A., I came from Manhattan, New York City. I got here in, 90, I think, 94. Yeah, moved here with my husband. Now, you know, of course, ex-husband. And, um, yeah, and I think I got in theater Geo six months before Geo was gone. Well, Geo's still alive, everybody. His oh, theater's yeah. gone. <laughs> yes, yes. Geo is still alive, of course. But his theater and then theater Geo turned, of course, into theater Neo. And that's where I met you. Yeah, yeah. I joined Geo the theater in like 95 96 around there and i had done a, a a few one acts with them and then he closed and it was so shocking and and the group all got together and i got a phone call one day saying hey we're thinking of just making a member run company and i said i love this idea and so you stayed with them all these years how many shows have you done with them over 20 wow and that doesn't count the Zoom shows. Holy shit. Do you have a favorite? The Women is right up there. Yeah. I played a lady who was perpetually pregnant. <laughs> fabulous scene where I have the newborn baby and I'm talking and smoking a cigarette and, you know, letting the ashes fall on the baby's head with no problem. The Women for Theater Neo was a turning point. And it, it really established um, the company, I think. It was a fantastic production. And it was, it was amazing to watch a company that had done, I say this respectfully, monologue festivals and, and short play festivals take on a full production and do it as well as y'all did it. Yeah, that was a great production. Wendy Worthington and I both were nominated for an LA Weekly for Best Supporting Actress. So here on World Gone Good, we talk about good things. So why don't you take everybody through, if you feel comfortable, what happened and how you kind of turned it into something pretty good. Getting there was at the Hollywood Fringe Festival. And it won Best Solo Show, and it was nominated for uh, other things. And it, it did, of course, get the Encore Award. We ended up doing 11 productions. And getting there is all about going to and from the hospital, Cedar sinai Medical Center, 
on the city bus with my little service dog, Stella. And how some of the folks on that bus, not all of them, but some of them, ended up like only family ever could. I know, kind of crazy. But the universe supported me. I'm in between relationships. And family was mainly out of town. Oodles of friends, but they all have significant others. And sure enough, the universe provided hmm, fill-in family, if it, as it were. <laughs> and folks on the city bus showed up for me like, like family, really. It's, it's kind of crazy. It's a funny, heartfelt lovely show and it runs an hour and i'm i'm delighted that it's still around let's take a step back here for a second there's no judgments you don't have a car actually i do have a car okay cancer is rather expensive right so i stopped working in 2015 at the end of I was also, before even that happened, utilizing sometimes the city buses out here because it was quicker, where I was working at the time, it was quicker to actually take the bus because the traffic was so horrendous. So I got pretty familiar with the bus. And then when I wasn't working, I couldn't afford car insurance. And so many of our listeners who listen around the world, public transportation is normal. People in cars is the crazy thing. So you made the decision to go get your cancer treatments and take the bus. Did you have any hesitation the first time or as you got into your treatments with that scenario? I think, Steve, I was already used to the bus. And there is something comforting to me because I've I've been a New Yorker, like you said, in New York. You'd be crazy to drive in Manhattan. Yeah, there's something comforting for me to be sitting among other people. Now, obviously, this was all pre-pandemic. And I enjoyed it in an odd sort of way. Sure, it takes patience, but I love to people watch. I adore to people watch. And ironically, I... I have these stories that I wrote when I would get to the hospital. I'd always get there early because, you know, when you ride the bus, you're either early or you're late, right? I mean, you know, you can't chance it with your oncologist or chemo or radiation. So I would get there early and take my phone out and my thumbs would get busy and I'd write these stories and these stories entertained me. And I had no clue if they were going to ultimately be a one person show. Did the people on the bus know you were going to your treatments? Absolutely, when I was bald. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, me too, but for different reasons. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> uh, no, but conversations do come out, and I don't want to give away stories that are in the show, but I, yes. Yes, sometimes, I guess, would be the answer. Yes, sometimes. And did you see some of the regular people because you were going at – probably the same times. So did you see people that you became familiar with on more than one occasion? 
Yes, and unfortunately, I probably have three hours worth of getting there. And in Fringe, they only want you to do an hour show. So I have a lot of extra material. There's one-legged man. One-legged man and I are friends. And uh, one-legged man actually has a, a gorgeous leather shoe. And he usually is in a blue Navy suit. And there's Patchwork Lady. I love Patchwork Lady. I have a whole story about her. She has patches everywhere, probably 300 patches. And I found out recently, thank God, I ran into her after the pandemic. And she's still okay. And she's still in all her patches. And I found out that she used to work downtown tailoring, but her kid and her had a fight. And so she doesn't sew anymore, but she still wears a gazillion patches all over her body. Yeah, there's a lot of stories that I have, a lot of characters that I know personally. And of course, I don't say, hey, one-legged man. And Patchwork Lady, I did actually ask her permission to put her on my phone. And I asked Patchwork Lady, what was her name? And she said, Sue. So now Sue and I are on a first name basis. There are others. It's a whole world. And you're right. In other cities, there's not as much judgment. There is a lot of judgment in Los Angeles against people who do uh, public transportation. And I understand that because there's homeless out there. And you are around some of the homeless. But, you know, all those homeless people are somebody's brother, somebody's sister, maybe somebody's mother. A hundred percent. We just did a show with Jesse Keenan from the Orange Cooler Project, who she works with homeless and, and in Van Nuys and a hundred percent. It's it's compassion. I just find it so funny that the woman's name is Sue and she sews. Because I think that's so <laughs> it's so close together. She has a very positive attitude, Sue. Like I ran into her on Mother's Day and so was Sue you gonna see your kids? This was Years ago. No, no, whatever. We do the best we can, right? You're doing the best you can, and I'm doing the best I can. And and if I was uh choosing to be with my kids, I well, I wouldn't choose to do that, right? She obviously didn't like her kids. <laughs> she's okay, but she's doing Mother's Day without her kids. When did you know that you had a show or that it, it became a show? Was it because of the Hollywood Fringe Festival? Was that, was that the, the impetus, the spark? I actually did my first rendition, only one show, at the White Fire in 2020, January 19th. And I was getting ready to do Fringe 2020. And I was at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center, and I was seeing my beloved side effects doctor, Dr. Asher. And I told him that I'm going to be doing a, a solo show in Fringe. And he said, you know, no, you're not. And I said, yes, I am. I'm going to put money down on the theater tomorrow. And he tried to explain to me what the pandemic was. And I thought Dr. Asher had had a really bad day. <laughs> He didn't understand what he was trying to tell me. But of course, the NBA closed that night, and we all know what the pandemic is now. So I forget exactly what your question was, but oh, when did I know I had a show? 
I did realize there were certain friends that wanted to hear my stories. And they, when I would speak to them on the phone, they'd say, well, do you have another story? And so I would read them another story. And certain friends would say, you know, I think you've got something here. I think, I think this is, you need to do this. You need to put this up somewhere. So, yeah, I jumped in into the white fire and, uh, and then three years later, it was kind of a no brainer to jump into 2023 fringe. Here's a overall question that I ask a lot of people. Do you think everybody has a story to tell? Absolutely. I have many stories to tell. And I think everybody does. It was interesting. A friend of mine that I went to college with came up to me after getting there and he whispered in my ear. He loved it. He writes sitcoms. And he said, you know, I would love to do what you just did. I would love to do what you just did, but I don't have the nerve. So there is that part. You you do have to allow yourself to reveal part of yourself, but you can just like I said, reveal part of yourself. You don't have to, there's no show that's going to have all of you in it. How do you come up with the title? And how did you come up with this title? You know, it's interesting. I almost renamed the title to Almost There when I was going to redo it. And then I realized I had an idea for perhaps another show. So I was going to continue with getting there. I was switching out a few stories and actually shaping it and going deeper into the message. And then I realized, no, it's it's still getting there. If I want to do almost there at another time, that's fine. But I think in reality, you know, when people ask you, hey, how are you? You know, I nod and say, getting there. So that is a way of of us just checking in where we are. Getting there. We never feel like we've gotten there. We're always getting there. And then, of course, there was the actual physicality of me going to and from the hospital. I I literally was getting there and getting home. So it has a double meaning for me. And I do like the title. You went into the Fringe Festival with the joy of just being like, I'm assuming, right? The joy of I'm going to do a show. Did you have a goal? I mean, what you accomplish is unbelievable to many, but I know you, so I'm not surprised at all. I'm I'm rather pleased, tickled and pleased, because of course, of course you're best of the fast. Who else would be? But did you have a goal set in mind? And then what was the experience compared to that goal? I tell you, I think, you know, once you've been through, you know, cancer, and I do give credit to Dr. Asher. Dr. Asher at Cedars has a wonderful program that any cancer survivor can take with him. And boy, maybe me saying this is going to get him a whole slew of people, but it's life-changing. He has these wonderful programs. And the name of the program is called Grace. And it talks about how, you know, literally, we're all not going to get out of here alive, right? So let's figure out what we need to do while we're here. And Yes, I was chomping at the bit to do getting there in Fringe, but I admit 
I had a lot to learn. Fringe is complicated. It's its own thing. Just because I have produced other shows in my life doesn't mean I know how to produce a show in Fringe. And I did have to realize that I did have to realize I need humility here and I need to learn how they do it. And I need to show up at all their events. And some of them are on Zoom. And I just, I was shaking, you know, a bit in my boots, but I did try to show up as to as much of it as I possibly could. And ah, the upside is you get friends and you're going through fringe with other people. And it is pretty, it's delightful. I, I highly recommend it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Did I know was my goal to be get an award? I've gotten awards before in my life. I'm I'm lucky. I have that um, the, the thing that I've been most proud of is the uh, the uh, Los Angeles Drama Critics Circle Award. I, of course, after you've won an award, you go well. Sure, I would like an award, but I quickly learned the odds of me getting an award and fringe were going to be pretty low. So I, they actually tell you, okay, choose. Out of the five goals, sold out house, awards, making money, what else, you know, lines out the door, just choose two of them. And my two that I chose were, I wanted to have good press. So therefore, I knew I had to have a great show because, you know, you've got to have a great show. Otherwise, you know, you got, you could be in trouble. So that's why I, one of the reasons why I went to Cameron Watson, because he's a very well-known director. And I was lucky that I had known him when I was a young, a young woman. And I got him on board and he was my team. And I did choose the Hudson because that was like coming back home, you know, Theater Neo, like we were saying before, that was all out of the Hudson. So that felt very good. Harry's still there in the coffee shop and Zeke and um, even Lee Fortier. She does the on stage 411 and she's fabulous. And these people would call me back. They knew my name. And I think I was smart to choose my team, a comfortable team, but also a high caliber team. And I just wanted to. <laughs> did the best possible job that I could. I had no clue that I could win win any kind of an award. No, no clue. Obviously, it was it was a fancy in my mind in the very beginning, but I I quickly learned, hey, get your priorities straight. Your priority is you do the best possible getting that you that you can do in an hour. Because you're highly encouraged to just do it within an hour, because most most shows infringe around an hour, and that way your audience base can go from show to show to show. So you're smart to do it uh, an hour or just under an hour. So much of theater, so much of storytelling, is about being present and living in the moment. And we have our phones. <laughs> we have our social medias. We're all so important. We're all celebrities, blah, bitty, blah, bitty, blah, bitty, blah. Getting back to the basic of 
being in the moment, being live in front of an audience that has your 100% attention, what is that like? What is the importance to you of getting back to being present? Wow. I mean, you just said it really great. Exactly what you said. That is that is the goal. And again, Cameron Watson helped me with that. He would say, Rebecca, just tell your stories. Just get up and tell your stories. And of course, chemo brain does affect your memorization skills. And I admit that opening night, that was tough on me. But it was the best possible tough, and it's the best possible high because when the audience laughs at things that you weren't even being, you weren't prepared that they were going to laugh at. Well, first off, you have to remember where you are (laughs) so you don't get lost. But it is a natural high, and you know that they're there. You know that they're listening to you, and you know they they want to know. They want to know your story. They want to know what happens next. I think every actor, that is their goal. I, a friend of mine is a TV director, and she came to see Getting There, and she loved it, Linda Mendoza. And I, I told her, she asked me about the, the next show, and I said, you know, it was really good, but it was a little different. And she said, Rebecca, that is the goal. You always, you always need to be open to letting it breathe, let your material breathe and be open a little bit. and. Um, yeah, I was extremely fortunate to have Cameron Watson at my helm. That was a gift, a true gift, and I'm greatly, greatly appreciative to him. Fringe is a community. And, you know, really in this life, we are all a community. And if we could all work together as a community instead of trying to pinpoint what somebody else has done wrong in this life, how much the world would be a better place. Monday, October 23rd at 7 p.m. back at the Hudson Theater. She's coming back again. You are performing again. I'm so excited. This is I've the longest heard. fringe of all time. <laughs> well, it's not fringe anymore. Okay. I, I've been invited to the, let me get this right, Hollywood Independent Theater Festival. Woo! At the Hudson Main Stage. So we're moving. Upgrade. 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 This is a 99-seater. So, yeah, tickets are already up on the Hit Fest. I think it's very cute how Hollywood Independent Theater Festival has been broken down to the Hit Fest. And I'm delighted to be among those folks. Are you performing the exact same show or are you going to change it up? You know, Cameron, right now, let me plug, he's got a show at the Pasadena Playhouse. He and I are going to meet. We are going to investigate that space. There may be a bit of changes, but it will be the it will be the uh, the award winning show from Hollywood Fringe Festival getting there. It will be that show. It might just have a little bit of changes because the space is a different space. Yeah, I'm extremely excited. I feel extremely blessed. And how cool <laughs> somebody like you in my past that calls up and says, hey, you have anything to talk about? Uh, yeah, 
very fortunate to have you in my life, Steve Silverman. Oh, I appreciate that. We close these shows with two questions. They're the same every time. Here we go. Question number one can go back to anything we've already talked about or anything you want to say. And it's this, who inspires you? My mother is, has always inspired me with my comedy sensibilities, with my comedic sensibilities. My mother, she's a little too honest, and she taught me comic timing. So I'm extremely grateful to her. And I also have to say the humanity that I see in complete strangers on the bus or anywhere for that matter. I love seeing humanity and people being authentically themselves. And the final question is not a question. It is simply a statement to finish any way you want. Take us out and this is it. Tell me something good. We are here for such a short period of time in this life. If we could, and we're totally capable of being there for each other, like say you would your cousin or your big brother. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes they'd get on your nerves. But if you could read your hand out and try to help them, what the world would be. And I have to say, that is the world that presented itself to me. Thanks for sharing your good Rebecca and for reminding us we are all simply getting there. Next time on World Gone Good. My dream always was to give back these years of radio experience to the next generation. This workshop is geared toward underrepresented, underprivileged, under underrepresented voices in social and in public media. And so the hope is that kids coming up who want to learn the craft, who want to learn how to build a show, who wanted to learn what kind of mic to use, how to edit, how to get good guests, how to do the basic interview. Um, they come to the boot camp, they learn, they go off and fly free, and then they come back and say, look what I built, Auntie Angelique. <laughs> Angelique Perrin uses her voice to not just make a living, but also to inspire and educate the next generation of creative artists. She is the creator herself of the podcast bootcamp, which is sponsored by KCRW radio in Los Angeles. She assembles a group of longtime radio and podcasting professionals to share their years of experience with the talent of tomorrow. We talk about raising other people up, how the pandemic changed, what and how we create and the best ways to use our voice. I can't wait for you to hear it. Until then, be good.